Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. My co-host is Bruce Aldrich. I am an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, which is the San Jose Mercury and the East Bay Times uh, in Walnut Creek, California. And I am the founder and now senior editor of theweeklydriver.com. Today we have on, um, I would say, maybe one of the most unique, if not the most unique guests we've ever had on. It's the second time we've been able to interview someone uh, or a family member who has been uh, inducted into the Inventors Hall of Fame. And our guest today is uh, Jack Teeter, and uh, his great uncle is Ralph Teeter, who, among many other things, was the inventor of cruise control. And um, Ralph is deceased, and um, his relative, our guest today, is intimately involved with the family and the story and uh, a documentary movie we hear that's coming out soon. So welcome to our podcast, sir. We can't wait to jump in. Thank you for being available. Thank you very much, James and Bruce. Bruce, happy to be here and talk about uh, Ralph Teeter. Great. We uh, look forward to it again. Um, I'm going to just go to the, uh, the question that probably gets asked the most, and I'll get it out of the way um, in a good way. Uh, there's um, some irony or some unusual circumstances or both that Ralph um, was the inventor of cruise control and um, your great uncle was also blind. So let's cover that um, subject matter first. Could you give us um, an overview of, of all that and how it came to pass? And we'll obviously have other topics as well, but that one is a, a commonly known topic. Uh, certainly, that's, that's the question that comes up most. Uh, Ralph Teeter was born in 1890 in a small town in Indiana, Hagerstown. And he uh, developed a passion for machines and tools, working with his uncles at the machine shop where they built railroad inspection cars. And at the age of five, he had an accident prying open a chest of drawers with a knife. And he, uh, he slipped it and went into one eye, and then the infection went to the other eye, and he was totally blind by the end of the year. But since he had already this passion for machines and tools, his family helped develop that passion. But they, they raised him in a, in a world that he was uh, not handicapped. And um, in, in such a way, the philosophy was living their lives as if he could see and taught him how to look at things with his hands. So he developed his senses along the way. And <clears throat> you bring up the uh, invention of the cruise control. The, uh, the idea that he had about developing such a device came in 1936. And uh, he had many drivers for him because he was blind. And at that time, he was going back and forth to Detroit a lot, working with the engineers at the Big Three and other car companies and designing piston rings for each engine. And one driver in particular, Harry Lindsay, was his patent attorney. And he was, he was kind of a horrible driver. He was a, a jerky driver. 
And this bothered Uncle Ralph quite a bit to the point where he uh, wanted to uh, design and invent a device that would keep a gar- car hold- holding at a steady speed. So he tinkered for the next nine, ten years in his basement workshop until he developed something and filed his first patent, which was in uh, 1945, under the trademark name Speedestat. But then it would take a number of years before it would come to market and before he could convince the board on directors to manufacture this device and bring it to the public. I heard, if, if I read it right, it, it was 1958 that uh, Chrysler uh, actually uh, used it in their top-end cars, and it was called uh, Autopilot at that time. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. That's correct. And, and prior to that, in fact, in 1954, Popular Science had magazine coverage of the Speedestat and photos and designs and a whole article about it, and that kind of generated some publicity to the point where he developed a couple of samples for the trucking industry to uh, test. But that was kind of slow to grow, and the interest kind of waned. Other things were going on in his life. And then uh, he had a press conference in Hagerstown, invited automobile companies and journalists down to test out the speed of stat and look at it, and he could present it. And then he installed it on, on some of the, the cars. In 1957, I believe it was Ford, Chrysler, and Chevrolet that were testing the device. And then it was Chrysler that kind of uh, went ahead with it, as you say, and they called it autopilot. And then uh, the year after, Cadillac came on board, and called it the name that's now recognized around the world, and that's cruise control. Yes, that's and it. And then short. Go ahead. Pardon me. I say go ahead. Well, shortly after shortly after Cadillac introduced it, then Oldsmobile, Chevrolet, and other brands, uh, Ford, I believe, followed along the way and introduced them on their car too. But I should say that um, he had. Um, he had some uh, uh, politicians and other people that claimed that his device was was dangerous and that it would uh, uh, the, the the cruise control would stick at a speed and not uh, release. But that was not the case. He had a uh, educated safety device on it that would uh, release with a brake or or other um, instances where it was uh, completely safe but he had to he had to and his engineers had to train uh, safety commissions uh, law enforcement and indeed politicians who raised the subject of it being dangerous and yet none of the politicians had ever driven the device they just came out and claimed that it was dangerous yeah, but anyway like that would that blew but yeah that blew over in in a few months after everybody was convinced that it was a safe device it sounds the rest like is history very much like politicians regardless of uh, one's politics pol- politicians are pretty good at 
<laughs> giving opinions without having knowledge of, of lots of different things. Well, that's that's exactly <laughs> right, and uh, I think Ralph was a little frustrated, but uh, amused by it all, and I think he anticipated it. So he had a good training program um, to run them through the the whole how the d- device worked and the safety features. I think that uh, I've read in recent years, maybe it's more now that. There are something like 60 to 70 technology features uh, offered on on a new car, unless it's a very base model of a vehicle. But many cars have 60 technology features, and maybe going out on a limb a little bit, maybe it makes perfect sense that cruise control is one of the ones that um, people aren't really intimidated by. It doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles literally to it. It just works, and... I would say, and maybe you agree, that among all the technology features that have come along, some of them have proven detrimental to driving, where cruise control is among some that it's really improved driving. Um, uh, it's been a number of years. So what, what, how have people commented to you or other family members about how important your, your great uncle was to the automotive industry? Well, well, the cruise control was important. I think because of of when it was actually introduced. So if you you look at the late fifties, and it it's it's uh, become such a popular device, and it's it's standard feature on all the cars now. So the the people have become so used to it that it's as simple as a turn signal. Yes. So. We're in a stage now. We're in we're in sort of a revolution now of the high technology, and uh, the Automotive Hall of Fame has stated that Ralph Peters' cruise control device was really the first step towards autonomous and self-driving vehicles, and I think there's a good case for that because it is indeed really the first device that was introduced on cars that has led to that technology that has become so advanced today with Tesla and other vehicles, GMC. And you look at all the car companies now that have introduced all the, the technological items. Like you say, something like 60 new items have been introduced to cars. So we're, we're at such a stage now of advanced technology, and there's no stopping it. So <clears throat> it'll continue. But we're we're kind of uh, uh, proud of the fact that uh, our uncle Ralph really had this this device way back in the late fifties. Well, actually, the idea that he had was in nineteen sometime in nineteen thirty six, and that by itself is is quite astonishing when you think about it. And, Absolutely, uh, yes. But that was not the only technological advance. Uh, technology that he introduced. In fact, in 1924, he designed and uh, invented a automatic gear shift, and the patent was used for the next 40 years on automobiles. And and the kind of amusing thing that happened back then is that <clears throat> Ralph was known in many of the manufacturing circles in Detroit, and. Uh, other automobile companies and parts manufacturing. And they basically told him that no one's going to pay for the luxury of having an automatic gear shift. Oh my gosh. Well, I kind of, I 
I kind of find that amusing now because today some 96, 98% of drivers uh, drive with an automatic transmission. It's true. I don't <laughs> think anybody under 30, uh, I would make a blanket comment that I would say a vast majority of drivers under 30 or 35 don't know how to drive a manual, a manual transmission. And uh, as I get older, as many people get older, the automatic or the CVT makes a lot more sense. But it sure is still fun oh, to dr- right. it's still fun to drive when you can, right? It's still fun to shift to shift the gears. It's still fun. Oh yeah. Well, I think our our generation uh, 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 grew up with manual transmissions. We were raised on them, even though auto- automatic transmissions were there. Uh, our father taught uh, us kids to start with a manual transmission because you get get to feel the car. You learn about the car, and you have a, a much more uh, respect for an automobile learning with a transmission because your your senses are become much stronger because you have to pay attention a lot more. That's true. What do you think uh, Ralph would think today of his uh, more or less simple um, cruise control versus what they have today? You know, with the uh, the distance keeping with tied in with either radar or camera systems I, I bet he'd be all over that he would love it what do you think oh i completely agree i think he would love the fact that it's been developed so much and if he was alive today um being a visionary and pioneer that he was he would be constantly looking at new forms of technology that would make driving safer more economical uh, and the like, because that's what he did. And the the cruise control <clears throat> that he designed and invented, in fact, his reasoning was uh, as a safety device and uh, saving uh, gas. And this is what he thought way back in the 30s. It would, would be a safety device, but would also improve gas mileage. Well, I ask anybody who who the heck was thinking about safety and gas mileage back in the thirty. It'll be zero, <laughs> just him. Other, other than your great uncle, I think. Wow, or very few people. Yeah. That's right. Hey, uh, Jack, um, uh, the your production company uh, has a wonderful name, um, you know, Blind Logic Productions, and I think it would be a good uh, good transition to talk about. You've spent a lot of we we talked last week, as I mentioned earlier, about the film and and making a film uh i don't know anything about making films but obviously you do with your background and uh what was the genesis of making this film how did you decide that this would be a good topic and um there's a trailer out and what is the update on um this film that you've um, put a lot of time into tell us about the film if you would well uh, the genesis, I think, goes back to my childhood, knowing uh, uh, Ralph Teeter. And he was uh, an exceptional, kind, humorous, sensitive human being who was just a brilliant man. And uh, uh, my Aunt Marjorie, <clears throat> uh, my Uncle Ralph's only child, wrote a book about her father, because his life was pretty remarkable. And and so she wrote and published a book that came out in 1995 called One Man's Vision, The Life of Automotive Pioneer Ralph R. Teeter. 
And of course, we all read it. And at that time, I, I, I thought this is going to make a great movie someday. But um, I had my career in film and was uh, working away and uh, the timing really wasn't right. And then fast forward to 2013, I believe we had a family reunion in Indiana, up in Lake Wallacey, where my Aunt Marjorie had a uh, lake home, and my father and our side of the family got together down there with uh, Aunt Marjorie's family, my Indiana cousins, my four Indiana cousins, and we kind of talked about the book and and the idea of a film. And... um, and I said, well, uh, I think I'll start writing a script. And so I did that. And I worked on it off and on for about, oh, nine years, I guess, until I decided that uh, I was going to make make a documentary. And um, uh, my Aunt Marjorie has since passed away in 2019, but she read a, a early draft of the script and was thrilled that we are going to bring this to the screen. My father uh, read a first draft of the script that he passed away in 2016. So they're both not around to see the film. Uh, and, and that's kind of disappointing for me, but, um, I, uh, I went forward and decided to make it, I guess it was October, 2021, where I took a film crew to Hagerstown, Indiana and started filming location footage and, uh, interviews with my four Indiana cousins and then I started putting it together from there. So I've been working on it, and uh, we're in the finishing stages now. Uh, <clears throat> my cousin Jim Andron composed the uh, music for it, and he just finished. And uh, now, now all we have to do is sound design, sound effects, and uh, the final mix. And then we have some upcoming s- screenings uh, in Indiana and Detroit and probably LA and, and, uh, and, uh, I think some other cities that we're going to get it to. That's uh, one, so, one heck of a project you got going there. It's good. He's an interesting man. It, I hope it does well. Well, it's, it's been a great journey because I, I got my brother Dan involved. He, he's a, an experienced film editor. So we, we went through the archives of four or 500 photographs and prepared them and then i licensed some footage and uh my uncle ralph had some old 16 millimeter home movies so we have film clips and um and then i did a lot of outside research and got some other licensed some clips and then storyboarded it and i started editing really back in uh 2021 so it's it's been uh it's been a journey and then we were uh, we were happy that we got Mike Rowe to narrate the film, and uh, the Emmy Award-winning actor Jeff Daniels to uh, provide the voice for Ralph Teeter. That's great. Yeah, so Jeff's we're great. Very, 
very happy with the, the, the production. So it's, it's a 90-minute film that covers 134 years of history. I, I saw the trailer, and, uh, yeah, I was amazed at the old footage. I mean, the whole family is amazing in, in my mind. Uh, you know, who they have their own machine uh, business, the manufacturing machined items, and then you have the son who's, who's blind, but he, he's the first to get his uh, engineering degree in a university, and he builds his own car. What is, I didn't see the year, but back in the 20s, I guess. Well, that, I mean, and you got pictures 19, of it. That was 1902. He was yeah. 12 years old. 1902. So he, he builds he, his own car, and you have a photograph of it. <laughs> Who took pictures back then, yeah. you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and 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 the college, his life at college was, uh, uh, he he wasn't accepted to the U of M, University of Michigan, because they didn't know how to teach a blind student engineering, and so he went to the University of Pennsylvania, and he convinced the dean of engineering to let him at least try, and uh, the dean and his faculty. Uh, it, it didn't think that he would last more than two weeks, but uh, he got his degree, came back for his master's, and um, and then he worked at the family company that evolved from uh, railroad inspection cars to building their own engines, internal combustion engines, and then that evolved into piston rings where they they realize the value and the importance of piston rings in the in the early 20s, I believe, or late, or maybe yeah, probably in early 1920s, and they <clears throat> moved the company into manufacturing piston rings and became the leader around the world in manufacturing piston rings. And, uh, and then he spent decades up at the Indy 500 building and, and uh, uh, helping the car builders and uh, the race car drivers uh, build the, the engines for high performance. Jack, um, would, would, it be, so he, uh, would it be fair to say, looking down um, some of the list of the people who are going to be inducted into the Inventors Hall of Fame this year, I, up until a few years ago, I, I wasn't familiar with the organization, and obviously there are phenomenal people who have been inducted, I, I get the sense that your great uncle might have been unheralded. Uh, is that fair? Um, I mean, obviously, he was very uh, innovative. He invented all these different 40 things. patents, 40 I heard. patents. Um, am I misreading that, or do you think, that might you agree that he was uh, as prominent as he is, that he may not be known to a lot of people? Well, uh, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, Ralph Teeter is sort of this unknown, um, unknown genius, if you will. Uh, but he's known in some of the circles in the automotive world from uh, generations uh, before us, certainly. Yes. And then that's, that's sort of uh, waned. Uh, he was inducted in 1988 into the Automotive Hall of Fame, six years after his passing. And the Automotive Hall of Fame in Detroit actually has an exhibit, the Ralph R. Teeter exhibit, and they have an actual cruise control uh, at, at present. And, and 
the the inventors hall of fame came up uh last year and uh they they uh came to us and they they said that he would be inducted into the inventors hall of fame well none of us have actually heard of the inventors hall of fame it was new to us yes and uh, we're quite pleased that that he will be inducted and um my hope is that this film will uh, reach an audience that will tell the story <clears throat> of Ralph Teeter as a character, uh, more so than his accomplishments, because his character and his story is is very inspirational. In fact, everybody pers- everybody that Ralph Teeter met was so inspired by this man. And... Um, and that's how I wanted the story to come across and the film to come across. So it is quite inspirational. And, of course, it has all of his accomplishments along the way. But but you really, in the film, you discover the type of person he is and the the how he gave back to the community and and how how loyal he was to his workers and how much he cared for his workers. And and I should mention that he served in World War One. Well, <clears throat> like many young men, when the war was raging across Europe, he wanted to serve his country. But but how? Yes. Well, so he served his country. He went to a shipyard and and helped balance turbine engines that naval engineers couldn't fix. And he solved one of their problems, and then he converted all of his factories to wartime production in World War II. And um, uh, so he, 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 his character is what really is important in this film. Sure. And, of course, his accomplishments are amazing, but his family is, is incredible, too. And his daughter, Marjorie, was... Uh, in her own right, she was quite an accomplished lady, as is her grandkids, too. So uh, the story of Ralph is, is really quite remarkable, and that's why I hope this film will convey to the audience. Yes, uh, it was remarkable. I, I understand, too, that he gave some uh, inspirational speeches back in the day, and in one case to uh, uh, blind war veterans and and at one of those speeches he said i am not handicapped because i never considered myself so it was all a state of mind uh, to that's, him that's that's correct and that that'll be in the uh film and he he gave uh well his words of wisdom <clears throat> are kind of scattered throughout the film but he he, he was a man of uh, uh, some pretty incredible words, and he was a man of logic and concentration, and uh, he developed incredible senses, even though he was blind. And um, uh, all this will be revealed in the film. <clears throat> uh, Jack, is the documentary um, will be in wide release, countrywide release, or in, in one of the streaming services, or? How, how does the public find out about it? I mean, you can go to the website, of course, but uh, when it becomes the film it's going to be become, where will will people, the public, be able to see it? Well, right now we have screenings 
planned and premieres planned. Uh, we've got a couple of screenings coming up in April in Indiana. Earl M. College wants to host a screening. The town of Hagerstown, where the story takes place, wants to host a screening. Uh, the Hall of Fame wants to have a series of educational screenings, so we'll probably have a Detroit premiere there, I would say, in May, and maybe one uh, in Los Angeles in May. I'll be talking to distributors and streaming services probably beginning in April, <clears throat> maybe March, but probably April. Uh, I hope to have it on a streaming service uh, and introduce it, oh, at the earliest, probably fall. Uh, but we'll probably have a few film festivals and other screenings. We have some college campuses that want some screenings. Uh, I'm working with some blind organizations. <clears throat> we may have some charity screenings. And uh, I'm going to make a special audio track for to make this film more accessible for blind and vision impaired. It's what's called an audio description track that is uh, uh, made separate, and I'm already uh, going to be contracting with a company in a couple of weeks to, to make that track. So when we do have it on a streaming service, it will be available for uh, vis visually impaired <clears throat> and uh, the blind. And uh, so we're making certainly making efforts to reach that audience because of Hack Ralph was blind. And we want them to hear about this inspirational story. So I hope it will inspire more people along the way and what they may be going through. So we're working on uh, a lot of efforts right now to bring this to the public. And I'll have all this on my website, <clears throat> updating news. I'm going to have a new page for our press. We've had some uh, interviews now. Uh, television interview with PBS. So we're getting some coverage. I'll be putting more press releases out as we get further along. And then I'll just update my website for people as well. Great. What is your website and what's the name of the movie again? Well, the movie is called Blind Logic, the Ralph R. Teeter story. And the website is blindlogicproductions.com. Thank you. And uh, <clears throat> I will be updating uh, throughout the next few months. Jack, it's probably a good place. Uh, I'd like to spend some more time. Uh, I'm sure uh, you've got some schedules and so forth. But it's just the, the more we find out, the more it becomes more interesting. So we want to thank you uh, this morning, this afternoon, to um, for being our guest on the Weekly Driver podcast. We'll we'll post the podcast soon enough and um, you're welcome to uh, if you'd like you can use the link uh, if you choose to and we, again we want to thank Jack Teeter um, our guest today on the podcast um, his great uncle uh, remarkable man by the little bit that we know now but can't wait to see the film and um, thank you for uh, again for being available and for your insight uh, in today's show we really appreciate it sir I thank you both very much. I'm honored to be a guest on your show and uh, um, look forward to maybe someday coming back and doing a little follow-up. Sure. Sounds good to me. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Jack. All the best. Okay. 
Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much. Good day, man. Bye-bye.